welcome to Easter here at Oakwood. Just want to brag on our worship team a little bit. I think that's just a glimpse of what it's going to be like to worship God in heaven someday. It's just with excitement and exuberance to lift up the name of Jesus, our, our, our risen Savior. Hey, there's three, three things that you can know this morning of why it is Easter at Oakwood. You know what those are? First thing is I tucked in my shirt and I have slacks on. That's number one. Number two is I'm wearing pink. Pink means Easter for some reason. And the third reason is, is because it's 37 degrees outside. And so we know you buy those spring dresses, ladies, to wear and the sandals. And, and I'm glad that some of you just said, you know what? I'm wearing it anyway. I'm going to freeze, but I'm wearing it anyway. I bought it for Easter. So by golly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear it this morning. But no, seriously, it's just an exciting day uh, to be a part of God's church and his family to celebrate a risen Savior. Only religion in the world has a risen Savior in an empty tomb that leads our religion. And that's an exciting thing. And we have, uh, as a church, we uh, were established September of 1978. And so we're going to be celebrating 40 years of ministry here uh, in Enid and in the surrounding area this fall. So it's just a great time to be a part of God's church. And we just want to warmly invite you this morning, if you are, uh, don't have a church home, don't have a place of worship, uh, come and, and join us. This is a great place to meet Jesus and to grow in Christ. As we begin this morning, there was an advice columnist in a local paper in a very small town. And that advice columnist received a letter and it had a question in there about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is what it said, Dear Eutychus, I heard that a preacher said on Easter that Jesus just swooned on the cross and didn't really die. The disciples then just nurtured him back to health. What do you think about this? Sincerely bewildered. And here was the response. Dear bewildered, why don't you whip your preacher with a cat of nine tails, 39 heavy strokes, nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for at least three hours, run a spear through his heart, and then take him and put him in an airless tomb for about 36 hours and tell me what happens. Sincerely, Eutychus. You know, the resurrection of Jesus is the most significant event in all of history. And it's because it really changes everything for everyone. Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. And that is the message of Easter. You know, sometimes things aren't always like they seemed at first. I want you to open your Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 24 this morning. And as always, you're welcome to follow along on the app. All of the sermon notes and scriptures are there for you. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, we invite you to take that one that's located right there in front of you and turn it to page 884. Just grab that black Bible right there in front of you, turn it to page 884. You'll be right where we need to be this morning as we're going to read the uh, Sunday morning resurrection account, Luke 24, verses 1 through 6. And it, it says this, beginning with verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. See, some of the followers of Jesus, because of Passover and, and, the, and the timing of the Sabbath, uh, they didn't prepare Jesus' body fully. They were kind of in a hurry when they pulled Him off the cross and put Him in the tomb. So they were coming back to actually give Him a proper burial. And look what it says in verse 2. It says, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. 
And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And that's the story of Easter. You know, it didn't seem like things were as they first appeared. I mean, they had seen Jesus through the suffering. They would seen Jesus through the cross. They had seen Him crucified. They would seen Him die. They would seen Him buried. They'd seen that big heavy stone rolled in front of his tomb. Well, then they get there Easter morning, and the stone is rolled away, and the tomb is empty. And it says that they were perplexed because things weren't quite as they thought or, or, or not quite as they seem. You know, we've been in a series for several weeks called The Upside Down Kingdom. Upside Down Kingdom is about some things that Jesus said that seemed upside down. I mean, one of the things he said is, The greatest among you will be your servant. That just goes against the world. It, it goes against the ways of the world. When you say, make a statement like that, the greatest among you is your, is your leader. It's the one that's high and lifted up and exalted. It's the best and the brightest. But Jesus says, no, not in my kingdom. In my kingdom, the greatest will be your servant. One of the weeks we, we've talked about uh, being a generous person. And we found out that it's more blessed to give than receive, that the true blessing in life is to be able to be a generous person toward others. It seems backwards in this world that just wants to gain, 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 and never give. And yet, that was the upside-down kingdom. And today we're going to uh, be talking about another upside-down way of Jesus. And that is this, that we have to die to really live. We have to die to really live. If you have your Bibles, again, I want to turn to another book and another uh, verse. It will be our main focus for this morning. Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. If you have that Bible you're using that's one of ours, just turn it to page 822 and you'll be right where you need to be this morning for Matthew 16.25. And Jesus has just made a statement about anybody that would come after Him, if anybody would follow Him, they must deny themselves and take up their cross to follow Him. That was part of Jesus' way. And then we get to verse 25 here in Matthew chapter 16 and He says this, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let me read that again. Forever, for whoever saves his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, it, it's a paradox, isn't it? It seems very paradoxical, but at the same time, it's really quite simple. Jesus is saying here that you must die to really live. But I want to explain to you this morning exactly what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying here is that whoever lives only to save his earthly life, whoever lives just for the here and now, you will lose your opportunity for eternal life in heaven with Jesus. If you only focus on what is here and what is now, that is exactly what you'll get in your life. But whoever is willing to give up the here and now, whoever is willing to give up just living for the earthly life for Christ's sake and will believe and will follow the ways of Jesus, he will find eternal life in heaven and a better life for all of his days here on earth. You see, death is the greatest weapon that Satan has in his arsenal of evil. We have all felt the sting of its blow and it causes us to ponder what is going to happen at the end of our life. What is going to happen when we expire? It's something that we all must think about because every person has an eternal choice to make. Every person has an option here. Some people make their choice through denial. Some of us make it through denial. 
If you're a baseball fan, you've probably heard the name Ted Williams. He's perhaps one of the greatest hitters in the history of baseball. He spends his time in a one-story warehouse near Scottsdale, Arizona today. He's been there since the day that he died in 2002. His curators, you see, they don't like the word death. There's this organization called the Alcor Life Extension Program, and they prefer to use terminology like this, that he ended his first life cycle. When Ted Williams died, well, excuse me, when he ended his first life cycle uh, at, at the age of 83, he was packed on a crate of ice and he was flown to Arizona. He was injected with some form of human antifreeze and he was placed in a stainless steel bay where he and 58 other residents await their mulligan at minus 196 degrees Celsius. And what they're counting on is future advancements in technology that will unfreeze them and miraculously bring them back to life. They're banking that their bodies on the hope of reanimation and regeneration that someday someone will poke a needle in them or push some kind of a button or pull some kind of a trigger and life cycle number two will be given to them. But the truth is that Ted Williams' family spent $128,000 on a wish that he would get an extension in life kind of like a do-over. But that's just denial. Denial of reality. Some of us make our eternal choice through avoidance. Uh, we just don't want to talk about it. We're just not going to talk about the day that I might die. We, we don't want to talk about eternal life or what is beyond that. We just kind of blow it off, kind of act like it doesn't exist, and we're just going to focus on just the here and now. A lot of us, we, we think we feel safer if we just avoid it, if we don't have to think about it. We just don't want to face up to that reality. You know, you can avoid facing the truth, but it doesn't change the fact that it's still the truth. But through that avoidance, kicking that proverbial can down the road, we are ultimately making a choice. We're making a choice about our eternal destination. And the third way that some of us deal with this is that some of us make this through facing the reality of our mortality. Some of us will actually face the fact, I mean, we know that we're going to pass away someday. We're not going to live on this earth forever. And we understand that when our time is up, our time is up. That's it. It's final. There's, there's no extension. There's, there's no do-over. But Jesus beat that fact. And He conquered death Himself through resurrection. And our reality check is whether we choose to accept that truth about Jesus for ourselves and keep on living like that, or do we choose the way of the world and act like that fact won't affect us somehow. The missionary Jim Elliott put it this way, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Think about that. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So you see, that's pre precisely what Jesus is saying to us in Matthew 16, 25. Forever would lose his life, forever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, then he will find it. You can give up what you will keep you will give up what you cannot keep anyway in this world to give your life on this earth. And what you will gain is a relationship with Jesus Christ that lasts not only on this earth, but actually lasts forever. And I want to share with you this morning that that's the message of the empty tomb. 
on Easter. That's the reason we celebrate. Jesus died to forgive sins and to give us life that is truly life. He died and he took on all of our sins, all the past sins, all the present sins, even the sins we'll commit in the future so that we could have life through his resurrection. So this morning in our remaining time, I want to talk about what does the death and resurrection mean to us this Easter? What does Jesus' death and his resurrection really mean to us this Easter. And the first thing is this. It means that we have a one-way path to forgiveness and eternal life. We have a one-way path to forgiveness and eternal life. There's no variances to it. Jesus made it quite clear. There, 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 there's a one-way path, and, and so there's, there's no way that we can get off the path. There's no way that we can uh, be confused about which way to go. You know, several of us, we have these devices in our pockets that have GPS. Wonderful, wonderful thing, Right? The GPS. I was talking to my girls uh, several months ago about GPS, and, and they were like, yeah, how, what did you guys do before GPS? And I was like, hey, like 25 years ago, we had this thing called a map, and it was on paper, and it had like all the roads, and it was all labeled, and I remember they were like, wow, and I was like, yeah, and I was like, uh, before I went to college, I went to college in Dallas-Fort Worth metro area, and I needed a map. You know, no GPS at that time. I needed a map to get around that place. And I remember my dad bought me this book of maps called an atlas. Are there any atlas people here? There we go. Some good. Some atlas people in the house. Yes, they still sell those today, okay? In case you didn't know. You might have to get on Amazon, but you can find one of those. But this atlas was a book of maps, and Texas had like three pages because it was like so big. But it would do these inlays. And if you've seen one, you know what I'm talking about. It would do these inlays of the cities, and it kind of gives you, you know, a, a closer look at the city and how the streets all, all fit together. And that's how we got around. And you kind of had to plan, and you kind of had to be able to read, you know, the map to get from point A to point B. I mean, you know, you had to do that. And that was like how we got around. And they're like, man, that's just amazing. And it's like, how did you do it? Because today we have that lady in the phone, right? And she says, you know, turn right here. And the beauty of it is if you miss that right-hand turn, what does she do? She says, recalculating. We'll get you there a different way. And if you miss that turn off, recalculating. We'll get you there a different way. And so, you know, it's really wonderful. What's so simple about the gospel and the message of Easter is that there's a one-way path to forgiveness and eternal life. And Jesus says that no one will come to the Heavenly Father, no one will come to eternal life except through Him, except through Jesus. And so there's no confusion here. There's, no, there's not meant to be any confusion here. Jesus and the Bible are clear there's only one way to heaven. It's said in John 14.6. John 14.6 says this, and Jesus said to them, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. He didn't say I am a way. He said I am the way. This kind of leads us to one of those big questions in life that we have to answer. In fact, at the end of your life, there's really no bigger question to answer than this one. How will you be made right with God? When you stand before the judgment seat on that day, what is it going to take for you to be right with God? And if you ask yourself that question today, you're going to get all sorts of different answers in our culture. I mean, you have to admit that no matter what you believe, you have some type of spiritual framework. You have some type of spiritual background. And the way the world works now is they want to confuse that spiritual background. 
Maybe you don't even have much of one. But we live in this society today that I would call a, a very uh, pluralistic society. And it seems like anything goes. In other words, you know, tolerance is a really high value. And it's very common today for people to believe many different things. Like one of the sayings that I hear all the time in this day and age is this, that all roads really lead to God. All roads really lead to God. And then you read a scripture and Jesus says, no, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father a different way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Other people will say, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in your heart. But I never read that in the Scripture. Some say that all world religions are essentially the same anyway. But it seems like we're very different. All those other world religions, they have a tomb or a grave marker for their religious leader, and they're still in there. <laughs> Mine is resurrected. It's an empty tomb. And Jesus is very direct, and He wants to clear up any confusion to anyone that He is the only way to the Heavenly Father and to eternal life. There is no other way to be saved under heaven. It is a one-way path, and it is only through Jesus Christ. So what does His death and resurrection mean to us this Easter? It's a one-way path to forgiveness and eternal life, and there shouldn't be any confusion there. The second thing that it means for us this Easter is that we have sacrificial atonement. Man, that sounds religious, doesn't it? <laughs> sacrificial atonement what does that mean you since the very beginning of the bible adam and eve when they sinned, something was introduced there was judgment on that sin when they sinned against god and that sinful choice brought death into the world the first time we've seen that concept and it seems that that god always had uh, this in mind when it came to those type of things that when there is sin, something has to die. When there is sin, there will be a blood sacrifice, and that blood will cover the sins. And if you study the Bible, if you've ever read the Bible, you know through the Old Testament, there's a lot about bloody animals in the Bible. About we're going to take sheep and goats and quail and pigeons and all these different animals at all these different times for all these different things, but it was always for the sacrifice to cover someone's sin, that you had this blood from this animal that was going to atone for the sin of your family. But then Jesus came, and His blood was shed to once and for all give us forgiveness of sins. And He was our substitute sacrifice. He was our sacrifice, sacrificial atonement. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 26, 28. He said this, For this is My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You see, it was His blood that covers our sins. And so He atones. He takes our place. He is our sacrifice. And He atones to God for our sins. It's something to celebrate. The death and the resurrection of Jesus this Easter. What else does it mean to us? The third thing is it means that we have hope for a better future. And we're in a world right now that if you turn on the nightly news, man, it is real easy to get depressed. We have hope for a better future because He came to offer us abundant life. And it's not just for now, but also into the future. In John 10.10, it says this, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy, our adversary, Satan, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says this, but I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. You see, He came so we would have abundant life now. Through His grace, through His blood, 
through his love and his forgiveness. And while Satan may have had a hand in your past, Jesus can redeem your present. And he can lead you into a positive future. The life of following Jesus is a much better life. The fourth thing, the fourth thing that, that we, that what, what does this death and resurrection of Jesus mean to us this Easter? It means that Jesus has the power to rescue us and bring us from death to life. He can rescue us and bring us from death to life. Look what it says in, in uh, John uh, chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus says this. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. I want you to notice in that scripture, it does not say that he will pass from death to life. It says that he has passed. It is past tense. It has already happened. You see, when you choose to put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you choose to call Him your Lord and Savior, when you taste the watery grave of baptism, then you have passed over from death to life. And you've died to yourself. You've died to the old life. And you're being raised to walk in newness of life. And you know what I think? I think that anyone who walks out of his own tomb has the power to do anything he wants. And that includes to save us. But we must die to really live. Only Jesus has the power to do this. And that power was shown through the resurrection that Easter morning. And I want to share with you this morning that He's been resurrecting lives ever since. I've seen some broken, broken people that seem to have these horrible, terrible lives and, and their past sinfulness just seems to keep creeping up in their life and there's all of these things that, that seem to weigh them down to keep them away from Jesus and yet Jesus keeps resurrecting lives even into this day is there any insurmountable obstacle between you and your Savior is there anything that just seems so insurmountable that it keeps you from trusting in him and allowing him to resurrect your life this morning reminds me of the rock that sealed the tomb. I think for all the disciples and the followers of Jesus, that rock outside the tomb was an obstacle for those followers that Easter morning. That stone that covered the tomb represented an obstacle of them not being with their Savior, Jesus Christ. And let me tell you a little bit about the stone. The stone is very heavy. In fact, a lot of Bible scholars believe it would take a dozen men to move that stone. Many times to seal those tombs, they would build the rock and cut out the rock and it would actually be above the tomb a little bit because it needed the momentum to roll down to seal the tomb. And they'd almost build a little rock cradle at the bottom that when the rock came into it, it would kind of go like this and it would seal that tomb and it was very heavy. And if you remember right, they'd heard that Jesus had proclaimed that he would resurrect and they wanted to make sure, you know, that that wasn't going to happen. And so they stuck a Roman seal on the rock on the tomb and then they actually posted guards there. And so that, that, that was a tight place. That place was tight, tightly shut. And I'm sure the disciples, after they'd seen him be crucified and whipped and beaten and tortured and died and then laid in there, that rock just represented everything. Of all these hindrances of being with their Savior. And we have to remember that there's no stone too large that he can't move it. There's no tomb too cold that he can't warm it back up and bring it to life. There is no hell too dark that he can't light it up. I was reading an email this week and it shared some of these encouraging words. 
You see, our stones don't cover the entrance to a tomb in Jerusalem. But our paths to Jesus are blocked by stones of fear, stones of doubt, stones of insecurity, stones of shame and disappointment and failure, betrayal, loss, sickness, selfishness, greed, and unbelief. We become overwhelmed by bills we can't pay, by addictions we can't break, by relationships we can't restore, by past we can't seem to shake. And these stones keep us in our tombs. And they feel to us that they're too big. They're just too big. We can't get out of this on our own. We can't move these rocks ourselves because the fact is that it is really too big. We can't do it on our own strength. God is the one that moves the stones that block our access to Him. And he did that Easter morning through the resurrection of his son, Jesus. And because God moved a stone on Easter morning that blocked access to our Savior, we can trust in him. We can trust in him to remove all the seemingly insurmountable obstacles that Satan wants to put in our path so that we can once again appreciate the true meaning of an empty tomb and an Easter morning. But the fact is this morning is we have a choice to make. We have a decision to make. Do we accept that truth? Do we allow that truth to be the truth that is the guiding force in our life? That we will call ourselves sons and daughters of Jesus and that we will follow him all the days of our life. And that's a decision that we all must make. And I am praying and hoping this morning that if you haven't made that decision, that you would make that choice today to go with the risen Savior, to go the way of God and to have that life that is truly life. To put away sin, to repent, and to turn to Him. Because He loves you. Because He has the power to remove that rock to let you walk in freedom. Let's pray.